0: Uh, well, the first thing that we can talk about is is that we need to do some things in stages. Okay. And and that that's kind of hard to do when life is kind of all in a mix. Mm -hmm. All right. It's sort of like the difference between the ingredients that's going into baking a cake or baking bread Versus the ingredients after they're already mixed together. OK. Right, so your life is already a great big mix of stuff. Yes. What we need to do is to start doing some separations. OK. Right? This is what the actual practice of meditation is for is to get some separation once uh let us say that we came into the world ignorantly and innocently as babies as children and living in that society we depended upon that society that no tender infant can survive without family and that family grows into all of society very quickly within a few years and so we become dependent upon society and we're in it. And uh, there are some <clears throat> major problems with society, just like some major benefits. And we buy into both sides of that. Okay. So one of the ways that we're looking at it now is let's get out of society and clean it out and start over again in Then we can come back into the world having learned from our mistakes, having a fresh new look at things, and also uh, with a completely different attitude than a baby. Children are dependent. It's built in. You as an adult are not dependent, but we don't recognize that because we haven't grown up yet once we go off into seclusion and get the mind straightened out then we can come back into society and not buy into the crap but use (laughs) wisdom instead of feelings all right now uh that's traditionally the way that the buddha has taught that's the way of practice and all of that kind of stuff but it uh and in fact you could say that throughout traditional Asian history, that was easy enough to do. But in Western society, the society itself has grabbed you, owned you, told you things that you now believe are true, and that those things that you believe are true because you got them from society are now going to be problematic for you to get away from that society. See, every young man in Thailand has the opportunity, not only the opportunity, but a lot of family pressure to go and join the Sangha, to go and live in the Wat, to get away from the society. In America and uh, in some places in Mexico, very few, there are Watts. And that tradition is just beginning to get grounded and started in the West. But it is in its bare infancy now in the sense that almost none of the students of modern meditation practitioners have the opportunity to say, well, quit your job, get on an airplane and go to Asia and go live in a temple. Why not? Not a big deal. The answer to that is the Americans, the, uh, the the Mexicans all of the people in western culture think that it not only is a big deal but it's too big a deal not only that but those who do see it as an opportunity rather than a big deal when they come to asia then they have to struggle with a whole lot of stuff that they didn't know about because they hadn't been here before in the sense that it's not just the Dhamma that you come from, but it's also Asian cuisine, Asian culture, Asian language, Asian ways of doing things. And that the Asians are also kind of used to having Westerners come in who don't understand Asian culture. And the Asians look down on Westerners, sometimes with very good reasons. So, Asians uh, don't even give the Westerners much of a chance of learning the Dhamma. And so, there's a whole lot of struggles that we have to put up with in this. And the, the correct way of practicing, then, is to practice your meditation with the understanding and the intention of being away from. Everything else, especially the way that you think, and the way that you have done things, the way you go to sleep at night, the way you wake up in the morning has now all got to be part of the society that you're putting aside and starting off again fresh. This is why the Buddha recommends going to the woods, to the foot of a tree, to an empty hut, to a heap of straw, find some place that's comfortable, and hang out for a while let the mind settle down. This is actually uh, what they try to do in a retreat, but they don't, um, let us say the retreats are too intense the way that they're operated, rather than allowing people to just retreat in the sense of getting away from the world. Now they've got a whole lot of stuff to do called a meditation retreat, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) and so um, that too is kind of problematic of moving out of doing this into doing that and what we really need to look at for you is the understanding of at least for a few times a day for about 10 minutes you're going to get out of doing this and not do that but rather not do much of anything at all okay okay that we're going to practice not doing a bunch of stuff especially the not doing that's in the mind this is what we call the hindrances is the doing of the world that we take with us all right we want to stop doing all of that stuff and what we're going to do instead the little bit of doing is to be here now Now, a lot of people, when they've heard about that from Buddhism, they think it's a great big whoop de doop deal. It's hard to be in the here now. Really, that's not true at all. That's the easy part. The hard part is to stop doing, is to put on the brakes and and start listening to the mind and recognize we don't have to do that right now. We can pay attention to what's going on right now instead. This is the beginning of the practice of Anapanasati, and the Buddha has a story about it. He calls it, um, or actually I call it in English uh, for easy reference so that students will understand it. We call it the log in the bog.
1: Log in the bog.
0: The log in the bog is a tree that has fallen over in the swamp. Okay, now there's certain kinds of trees that live in swamps. So we're not talking about um, uh, a giant oak in the swamp. We're talking about the kind of log, a cypress or something, the kind of tree that would be in the bog. Now. In the Buddhist time, there were professional firefighters, fire starters. Getting fire started was not the easiest thing, and so they developed an entire profession out of it and eventually a religion. But the professional fire starters were actually very good at rubbing sticks and things like that together. They had all the right equipment to make a fire fairly easy for themselves. So the question is, can a fire maker, professional fire maker, come to that log in the bog and set it on fire?
1: he's a professional.
0: He's a professional firemaker. Can he set that log on fire now? He doesn't have the modern tools like acetylene torches. Well, he does, but he does have his tools. But the point is, is that no, he cannot set that log on fire because it's saturated soaking in water. That In fact, over time, those logs go deeper and deeper as the water completely fills them up to the point that some of those logs either sink completely or ride on the surface just so an inch or two of the log is above the surface of the water. Because it's so completely saturated with water now that it's waterlogged. Basically, that's how that term comes out. Okay, the logs get waterlogged and then they sink. So, you cannot start that log on fire. But if you grab that log and hoist it out and pull it out onto the dry land, now can the log be set on fire?
1: After a while, after it dries?
0: Ah, so the answer is not when you bring it out of the water. Because it's yeah. still completely waterlogged. But you can lay it there in, uh, on the land so that the gravity will pull the water down and the sun will shine and bake it and some of the top of the log will evaporate and the rest of the log will go down. So that there eventually will come a time that even when the log is almost completely saturated with water, still there's enough of the log that's dry now that you can set that on fire. This is, in fact, how the ancients made dugout canoes. To make it easy, that's exactly how they did it. Okay. They would use fire on the part of the log that was not saturated with water, and it would be, in, and then they would dig it right out, dig, dig the ash out, and they've got a canoe. So, this point that we're making is also very much like the mind that we are saturated in the bog of society. So saturated, in fact, we don't even know that we're completely saturated in it. And so getting the human, getting the body, getting the mind out of society is beneficial. Now, what's happening with you and with most of the students and, and people who work for a living and all of that are practicing meditation they come out onto the beach for maybe one or two or five or ten minutes, maybe an hour, and then they jump right back in the bog.
1: <laughs>
0: and then they come out for a little bit, then they jump right back in. Okay, So we need to find a way of making the time that you're out of the bog most beneficial for you so that you can get benefit out of it. So that then when you go back into the bog, completely hollowed out, now you will float on top of the water and not be drowned under it. Okay. This is what we mean by the supramundane. So the supramundane is be the- being above the world or above the bog, above the swamp. Okay, Okay. now we have the analogy, and this is quite uh, prominent in Washington, D.C., but it seems to have gotten all over the place, and that is the idea of going to drain the swamp. With the idea that uh, the swamp-draining guy has gone to Washington, D.C. to help fix the place, and he's now in in this photo of a man in in the swamp surrounded by alligators and the caption under that is is that when you're up to your hips in alligators it's hard to remember that your original intention was to drain the swamp Mm -hmm. right well, this is what society is all about. Everyone goes to Washington, all of the pages, all of the uh, the assistants, the employees, the politicians, they all go to Washington with the idea that they're going to fix things that are broken. And very soon, they wind up getting stuck in the bog up to their hips and alligators. <laughs> and after a while, some of them actually become alligators. If you can understand it like that, you can understand then that ordinary people, when we get uh, when we go into a uh, let us say, a task like a job like a protest or a movement or something like that, that the individuals often get swallowed up in the bog that they're making And it's best for us to stay out of those kinds of bogs. And stay high and dry okay. or at least get high and dry so that we can then float on top of the bog if we have to go back in it as um, in Christianity they have Jesus to say to be in the world but not of the world this is an example of what we're talking about there is that you actually have to get out of the world to dry out hollow out and then you can go back into the world Be on top of the world like a dugout canoe. Okay. But unfortunately, you're not going to give yourself that option. You're going to give yourself the option of going back into the water, back into the bog over and over and over again, even though you're really not ready. Okay. Okay. But you can practice that. With that knowledge and understanding, but the first thing that we need to do is for a while to get the idea of coming out of the bog, to come out over and over again, sometimes uh, several times a day. So the style that we're going to use, rather than all meditation all the time for a short period of time, we're going to have uh, meditation interspersed throughout the day to give you an opportunity to get out often to get out of the bog, to get out of the bog over and over and over again. Okay. Okay. And so when we talked before I talked about when you wake up in the morning and as you're going to sleep at night, but I'm actually putting that in the reference of only. Uh, two opportunities of several that you will have throughout the day. Now for you, you'll have to figure out what those are, but I would recommend that the students actually start putting in about an hour a day, put some skin in the game, put some time into this. However, sitting all at one time for an hour is not recommended for several reasons. One is is that the human attention span is not an hour. It's normally only about 20 minutes. And number two, the body is not used to sitting in postures for long periods of time. And so breaking it up and having shorter sittings more often has other benefits. In the sense that if you have that old repeating mental habit pattern that you're using throughout the day, and now six times a day, you're interrupting that pattern and putting a new pattern in. And that means that that stuff will become part of the memory and at other times you'll remember it when you need it. And so we're looking at the way of linking it all together. So instead of just leaving the world, getting high and dry, all hollowed out, everything is good and hunky-dory, and then we can either sit high and dry or go for a cruise, either way, that's one path but that's not a path for the Westerners because the Westerners have the the job, they have the school, they have the mommy and the daddy's pressure, they have the society's pressure and all of that kind of stuff. And and part of that pressure has to do with a certain kind of vocabulary that's intended uh, to belittle or downgrade people who are actually um acting in a much more wise wholesome way in their life wise yeah. wholesome people are often called wayabouts crazy
1: folks that um they don't act in the norms of the society like, like they, i i like i would take it chill instead of acting like it's like all I need to work, I need to do this, I need to do this and that. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, it's okay, there's no
0: rush. Right. So what we're going to do now is practice about six times a day to actually chill out.
1: Okay. <laughs> and, and would that be like sitting down?
0: Uh, yes, w- we can work on that. Um, that in fact, we can do that. Uh, but it's a little bit more of an advanced activity what I'm thinking about now in the sense of every time that you sit down in a chair should be an opportunity for you to chill out okay every time that you sit down but there may be times when you don't and then you'll feel bad so but you can remember to take the opportunity that sometimes when you sit down in a chair Instead of sitting down to work, you can sit down to do nothing for five minutes and just enjoy the fact that you're sitting with no place to go and nothing to do, and the boss is not calling, and there's no alligators on the floor, and everything is hunky-dory for five minutes, and I don't even have to think about that email. I don't have to think about that job that I've got to do. I can just be happy and hang out and watch my breath. Okay. Okay. Here we're going to start having wholesome thoughts. And one of the unwholesome thoughts would be you ought to be meditating. That's an unwholesome thought. A much better way of thinking of it is is that, yeah, this is a good time to meditate. I could just sit down and relax.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: And just sit down and relax. Oh, I can just sit down and relax. I don't have to think about all the troubles of the world. I can I can get dry from that. I can get out of that bog for a little while and get myself chilled out just a little we keep practicing that over and over and over again and it begins to link throughout the day so that the students begin to remember over and over and over again to take a deep breath and just to chill Chill okay all right so uh this chilling out process has the quality of removing unwholesome thoughts Now uh, the Buddha talks about it in the sense of kilesa, and uh, or uh, kusala rather, and ek and The word kusala actually is a word that comes from. It's actually a a part of India as a, a location, but original term was that it was a a kind of a grass. But it was a heavy, heavy duty grass. It was so heavy that the big leaves were heavy and, and thorny, and that you could drive the leaf out of this cassava grass and then use the leaf itself, dried it out and pressed down under a rock as a knife. And it would cut all kinds of things cut your skin for sure, cut bread. It wasn't strong enough to cut wood. But kusala grass has historically been like uh, humanity's first knife because it was easy. And what we mean by that is the kusala or a kusala means, will this knife cut? Will this dog hunt? Do you have skin in the game? That's the question when we talk about kusala versus a kusala. So a kusala means that we can't cut into this. We can't see it. It's unwholesome. Uh-huh. But when it's, when it's kusala, that means that we can look into it. We can see it. It becomes wholesome. It becomes useful and valuable. Oh, uh-huh. we're going to start uh, looking at thoughts as to whether they're wholesome or unwholesome or whether we can see directly into them or not by seeing directly into them we see you the mean? wholesomeness okay. okay now this is a skill to be developed this is not something that i give you an idea and you've got an insight and all of a sudden you've got a full-blown skill going no this is going to take some time to develop that skill and that skill means is that things that you were doing you now see are unwholesome. Now, normally people will will be very slow to do that because they don't like the fact that we screw up. We're not supposed to screw up. But here we're going to be actively engaged, happily engaged with watching the mind go into unwholesome states so that we can catch it doing that. Because otherwise, we're just going to stay stuck in all of those unwholesome thoughts. Okay we're going to start looking at them and that uh, we can, we're going to start looking at a Kusala and Kusala in the following way to get you to understand what we're talking about. If you have a thought about something that is not here, then you're okay. having a thought about something that does not exist right here, right now. Okay. Isn't that interesting? So if we're having thoughts of the past, we're not here, we're not present. If we have thoughts about work that has to be done into the future, we're not here, we're not present. So, for the beginner, we can begin to understand that any kind of thoughts that are about the past or any kind of thoughts that are about the future are also we can have any thoughts that are about things that are not happening right here in front of us. Right here in this world, but in fact, they're in some off unknown world, say, Washington, (laughs) D.C., or the other side of Mexico. Thoughts of the Yucatan, thoughts of the border, thoughts of other places is actually delusional thinking. Now, humans don't like to call that delusional thinking, and so we build other kinds of words around it. We call it conceptual thinking. We're conceptualizing. We've got a concept here, all right? And so we begin to look at the distinction between observing what is real and thinking about what's real versus concocting or um, uh, dragging up memories from the past, or having a uh, conceptualized thought. So conceptualized thinking is in fact a way of, of understanding what we mean by wholesome versus unwholesome. <clears throat> Another way of looking at it is in the sense of um, thoughts that are judgmental. are thoughts that are critical. Thoughts that are critical in the sense of this is good, this is better, I like this, I don't like that. That in fact, critical thinking is the entire basis of the second noble truth. The cause of suffering is critical thinking. I like that and I want it and I want more of it. Or I don't like that and i got to stomp it out with a hammer. Right? Mm-hmm. This is all the doing of the world. The doing of the world is all based upon critical thinking that in fact, uh, the humanity is so messed up that they even think that critical thinking is a good thing to do. They advertise mm-hmm. it in school. Oh, you've got to think critically. I would rather them say, you got to think wisely because critical actually means criticism, going around finding fault judgments and all of that. Now, this is this, what we're talking about now. This concept of right and wrong, good and bad, this is good, this is better, that's best, all of this comparison, critical thinking, the dangers of it have been known for many, many centuries. That in fact, this is the what we're talking about actually is the story of Adam and Eve. It's that old. What is the story of Adam and Eve? Many Christians, they get wrapped up in the story rather than the moral of the story or the outcome of it. And so they get into talking snakes and apples and uh, fig leaves and uh, who did it first and um, all of that kind of stuff. But there really is a teaching in there. And that is, is that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Right, that's the, that's the little phrase eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil means that the eating of the fruit means that they had to put up with the results of their actions. Had to put up with something that they did. What did they do? They gained knowledge of good and evil, which meant they went around paradise saying I like that, but that tree's got to come out. You know, I live in paradise here. There's a really beautiful seam uh, uh, tree here, but it's got yellow leaves on it today, and I don't like that. And so I'm going to take that tree up. I'm going to dig it up and throw it out because I want only in my paradise to have green leaves. No yellow leaves allowed. All right. With that kind of attitude, how long will there be trees in this paradise? It will eventually be all tearing up. Exactly. This is what we mean by paving paradise and putting up a parking lot is that we keep throwing things out because we've judged them to be bad. And by doing so, we have destroyed the very paradise that we live in. You actually live in a paradise. But you don't know it because you go around judging it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that's what we mean by critical thinking. The worst part of it is, is that you're also judgmental or critical of yourself. (laughs) Part of the reason why you called me is because you want things to be better. Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? Maybe they won't be. But you can be happy anyway. (laughs) Maybe they won't be any different than they are now, but what can change is your attitude about things. So that you can begin to see it as a paradise. Where you are right here, right now, this is a paradise. But when we are leaving paradise in order to go into the past, when we're leaving this paradise in order to go someplace else, when we leave this paradise in order to go off into the future, we're not really living in the real world. We're not being here now. So this is one of the ways of looking at it uh, in the sense of what is wholesome and what is not wholesome is whether the thoughts are critical or whether they're nurturing, because there's another way of talking about it. And that is is to let everything be OK to nurture. That, in fact, uh, when a when a new baby is born, It will not survive unless it's nurtured. But almost always, it doesn't happen 100% of the time, but most of the time, uh, mom will get her baby and she will nourish it and nurture it and take care of it. And that feeling of nurturing and taking care of that mom has for that infant keeps that infant alive and well. But it doesn't last for long. Actually, it seems to last about four, five, or six years at the best. And then mom becomes critical of that child. And now the child is living with criticism for the rest of his life. And he longs for and misses the original nurturing that he had when he was a tender infant. And nobody ever bothered to tell that guy that he can nurture himself. This is what we again mean by wholesome thoughts is to begin to nurture ourselves in the paradise that we are currently in in this moment, and coming out of the critical thinking. Okay, okay. I'm, go ahead.
1: Like today i was I was taking a walk, like this has been on my mind for quite a while since the last time we spoke, really. Actually, so it's like, like I go walking and like, I've always had this feeling that life is like really just like a, like a beep, you know, like boom. So.
0: This moment certainly is followed by another boom, followed by another boom. Some people call it like foams with little bubbles, just popping one at a time. Pop, 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 pop. The Buddha yeah. talks about it, like, and that is one by one as they occur, new moment, this new moment. everything is new. anyway, yes, life is like that, but
1: now I was walking, and I was like, well, yeah, it's like like I don't know if it's going fast or it's going slow. like, like I'm right here right now, and I like it. so I like. I call that a wholesome thought. So I, I feel like, yeah, and he, and he cheers me up, and I feel like okay, and I feel like, like warmed up, like if like if I had some blanket on, and I'm like, yeah, let's go, and mm-hmm. and, and and yeah, and but like I would have I I would like to have some some ground. To to actually recognize whole and unwholesome thoughts?
0: Well, that's going to take some investigation on your part. Okay. But it sounds to me like the kind of thoughts that you have that allow yourself to feel warm and gushy and all chilled out, those are wholesome thoughts. Okay. Okay. You can recognize that as wholesome thoughts. Now, in um, in various suttas, the Buddha talks about this stuff in various ways. Um, but it seems like the Western Buddhism, for some reason, didn't get it. In one way, the Buddha talks about it as obstructions. Because a lot of people don't understand obstructions as obstructions, because we get some gratification or delight out of it, we cannot see the dangers in it. Another way that the Buddha talks about it is in the sense of hindrances, and in this regard he's talking about the hindrances that are in this moment hindering you from being in a really warm, goosy state another way of um uh mentioning it is like the way that we've been talking about kusala and akusala, are wholesome and unwholesome but in the anapanasati sutta the buddha uses a specific kind of language here in the sense that step 10 of anapanasati and these are not actual steps like marching steps up two three four five six seven eight but rather um just In order of appearance. In the sense of the, the listing on a piece of paper. Just to understand it, it's step 10. But basically, it's one of the first things that we need to do. And that is to gladden the mind. Gladden the mind or to brighten the mind to literally pick it up out of the garbage. Or to take it out of the bog and put it up on the, the ground. The lightening of the mind, the lifting the mind, the gladdening of the mind, and this is done with gladdening thoughts. And that the Buddha actually had one as an example, this quite famous in the teaching this. This is actually you could say that this one phrase that I'm about to say was the linchpin that put the entire package together for the Buddha so that he could understand things correctly in, in the sense of the Four Noble Truths, the Eight Four Noble Path, and all of that. And that is the phrase, Aha, I see you, Myra. Okay. Aha, I see you what's in the mind. I can see you as Mara. Now let's define Mara for just a bit because there's many different definitions, but they're all kind of pointing in the same direction. Sometimes the word Mara is used for the word world in the sense of society, not in the sense of planet Earth.
1: Yeah.
0: It can also be thought of as devil. mm mm-hmm can also be thought of as the mind. But in the way that we're looking at it right here is is that it can also be referring to unwholesome thoughts. Or devil thoughts. Or uh, thoughts that hinder us from being in a good state. But when we say, aha, I see you, that means that we're separating ourselves from those unwholesome thoughts that we were stuck in. Uh Aha, I see you is the very dragging the log out of the bog. Okay. The bog is not the owner of the log, nor is the (laughs) log owning the bog. We can come out of it. Uh Aha, I see you, Myra. I can see what you're doing, Mr. Mind. (laughs) I recognize that thought. I can see it. Now, we can look at it this way. Notice that my hand... Uh, Is going around and around. This is the world. This is the spinning. And this is the mind. In the sense of taking a journey with that. But then the sati comes. The wake up. The investigation to see. Look at this. Look at this. Then we say. Aha. I see you. Notice that distinction here. Before I was in it. Grasping. Clinging in that thought. And now the wake up, look at that, and then the next one is this moving out. Aha, I see you, Myra. I see what I was doing. And now it's separate. It's no longer stuck. It's now separate. So that you begin to separate who am I here in the sense, am I the observer that's observing this, or am I the thought itself? who who is the thought am i the thought now most people they really are attached to their thoughts you attach also to feelings i am angry or i am sad and they almost always are associated with thoughts i'm really troubled i'm really upset no just thoughts are troubled and the troubled thoughts will give rise to the feelings of anger but you are neither one of those things.
1: Like, I feel angry, but I am not the anger.
0: But you're not angry. You are not the anger itself. It's just sensations of the body that feel the anger. Okay. I am not that thought. You are not the anger. Okay. But we can separate, we can move out. You are not the anger itself. That we can gladden that stuff up and take control. Uh Aha, I see you, Myra, is a major change in one's life. That changes us from the victim to the winner. It It takes us from being attached to being unattached. It takes us from being caught in the world to be above the world. This is a major point. We need to practice that often, over and over and over again, to separate ourselves from our own mind. Aha, uh-huh, I see you, Mara. I see you. I see that unwholesome thought. And that aha, uh-huh, I see you, Mara, is now a wholesome thought. That thought itself is a wholesome thought. Okay. But most people don't understand that. And so when they say, ah, there I go again, I see it, I see it, I see it, okay. But they don't like it. They don't like it. I Oh, I'm so stuck in that stuff. Right? <sighs> and so this is where we take the right effort or the gladdening of the mind to say, aha, I am not that. Aha, I can separate myself from that stuff. And so now we can... Um, begin to make a change in a very wholesome way and in in the sense of gladdening the mind, which means I'm really happy that I can see that crap as opposed to being really sad because there's just more crap to deal with. Yeah. This is a major change in one's attitude and we need to foster that attitude from the attitude of being the loser. There I go again. Oh, poor me. I can't get out of it. And aha, I see you. take care of this i can handle this okay and so we need to practice this several times a day for about five ten minutes just to practice chilling out to practice i don't have to have thoughts of unwholesome and that you can by doing that five or six times a day uh, it begins to get connected so that you will have connecting thoughts between. So let's figure out for you what would be good uh, just for 60 minutes, 10 minutes a piece, six times a day. And so one would be when you first wake up in the morning. That instead of doing what you normally do, you're going to actually stay there for 10 minutes. Thinking about how nice today is, how refreshed you feel, how I can take a deep breath and just relax. Everything is hunky-dory and I really enjoy just laying here. So you can set your alarm 10 minutes early. Okay. And and do this for about 10 minutes. And then when you lay down at night, Letting the cares of the world go away and having thoughts of everything is okay. I don't have any place to go and nothing to do. A lot of people have a bit of insomnia and they want to go to sleep, but they can't because they're too busy thinking about something. If you can easily go to sleep, that's great. Go to bed, go to sleep happily. Okay. (sighs) So. We've got two of them out of four. We can find four other times a day. One of the times that you could do that would be like if you go to go to work someplace on public transportation. You can spend ten minutes on public transportation, just enjoying the heck out of your subway ride. Well, I'm just having to think about getting to work. Home
1: office. Like oh yes, okay.
0: Myself. So every time you know you can have a little um, um, alarm clock or um maybe not you can have it as an event in the sense that um lunchtime, that's always a good time to take out 10 minutes yeah. okay and in the middle of the afternoon would be a good time to take out 10 minutes so instead of taking a coffee break you can take a happy break okay <laughs> that might include a cup of coffee <laughs> <laughs> So you can find four or five times a day that you can just sit for 10 minutes and just chill. Okay. And thoughts of unhappiness, thoughts of someplace else. Aha, I don't have to think about Aunt Susie. Aha, I don't have to think about politics. Aha, I don't have to think about the job. I can just sit here and think about breathing in and breathing out and chilling and having a wonderful moment. Okay. This is the beginning of the practice. Okay. All right. Great. Well, let's go ahead and finish now. I think that you've gotten what we need to do. Yeah. And yeah. we will talk to you later. This has been a really great chat. i really enjoyed it. And I especially <laughs> like it when I can see that the students have got it. They've got what Aww. I'm talking about. <laughs> it sure feels great. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Okay, Rahul, we'll see you soon.
1: See you, Damato.
0: Okay, bye bye.
1: Have a pleasant day.
0: Yes, you have a wonderful moment.
1: Thank you. You too. Bye bye.